0: Alright, this is on a topic that I wrote about, I think just after I graduated from high school. Made copies of it, like a hundred copies, distributed it to people. I'm not actually going to read my paper, much of it, just uh, quotes that I included with it. But mainly, my wife's testimony. This is on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I happened to find this because... My dad took things out of storage, brought them to his basement, asked me to look through things I did, and found this. And I thought, wow, that brings back old memories. (laughs) So, But I also found it to be a very important topic, very interesting. Um, Interesting in several levels. Number one, just because I've been more focused on current events, what's going on. Oh, just in so many ways, you've listened, maybe listened to my other podcasts and know about that, but this has nothing to do with current events, but in another way, has everything to do with world history. That is the power of the Holy Spirit, God in our lives, and miraculously so. So, I'm glad to have re- reintroduced myself somewhat to that topic, uh, and also interesting And that the first thing I'll read is my wife's testimony. She wrote this to be included in the paper and to be handed out publicly. So no worries there that I'm reading her private testimony. (laughs) Hers is more interesting than mine, so I read hers. (laughs) But, and more more dramatic, more uh, amazing. So I want to read her testimony of her baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then read some quotes. But interesting in that... Well, that's when uh, she was being introduced to the charismatic movement out of a, uh, you know, a very fine, in many ways, uh, you might think of it as fundamentalist style, uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, Toledo Gospel Tabernacle, or now called First Alliance. Good people there, and good, uh, a lot of good, solid teaching. And but what makes that interesting in you another know, dimension then is that it was protestant but yet I'm catholic she's catholic committedly so and happily so <clears throat> of course we know about all the crazy uh goings on in the catholic church and you know we're not saying that we uh, are on board with so much of what's going on in the catholic church but it is the church established by Christ I don't have any doubt about that and I'm very happy to be there and we received so much help from it So how can a person like that talk about, you know, fondly and respectfully of memories we're having going back here from, you know, our senior year in high school and a little beyond, and saying I could even be learning from it? Well, you know, God is faithful, God is just. I mean, I think that
1: just like for anybody who,
0: uh, if they say a Jewish person who Here's the name of Jesus, and here's a bit of the gospel, and all that they can associate with that is having to do with their family being murdered in the Holocaust, with probably Catholics and Lutherans being on the wrong side of it. You know, they sure they can hear the words, but it doesn't mean they get the message, it uh, has too thick of a filter for them to be able to receive, apart from the Spirit really enabling it in them. So, too, then, I think that there are many Protestants the same way. They love the Lord, they're following the Lord, and, you know, many of them much more faithfully than many Catholics. And living up to the light that they have, and uh, when they think of Catholic, well, it's like what my wife and I thought of. Catholics, back from Sylvania, Ohio. Now, of course, there were many great Catholics there, but uh, the friends that we knew in high school who went by the name Catholic were the biggest partiers and fornicators around. So, we didn't even consider them to be Christians. By all the testimony we had from them, why would we? So, no, we weren't interested in being Catholic, obviously. That was just a non-starter. And so then if we would have died back then, we would be sent to hell because we didn't join the Catholic Church? I don't believe that. I uh, do believe what the Catechism says about it, (laughs) and that they are separated brethren. (laughs) So back here, I'm reading from when we were separated, brethren. Learning from it, and appreciating it, and finding the Holy Spirit at work in it. And same thing for some of the writers that I'll read. Now, these writers won't carry weight to you if you don't know them, but if you're in the somewhat fundamentalist style, actually, or the Holiness Movement or Pentecostalism or the Deeper Life, um, the Cheswick Movement, whatever you want to call it, all that associated with uh, um, also Presbyterianism, all of it meshed together with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Well, anyway, then these names would certainly mean something to you, and I don't know who you are listening, but this is a really important topic, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But that's not Catholic, though, right? Well, actually, it's just very <laughs> its very clear in the... Uh, well, the, especially the early church fathers. I'll read a quote by Augustine here. makes it clearer, but it's also right in the uh, confirmation. That's what that is. But so many things <clears throat> that we can do formally, apart from doing it with an open heart, with understanding, intentionally, you know, you might as well be eating a Cheeto instead of taking the Eucharist, for example, if you do it in unbelief and while living not in a state of grace. So, anyway, same thing with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're. You go through confirmation, which is giving testimony to that, but. I'm just doing it in a perfunctory fashion, then it's not receiving the Holy Spirit and power, often with signs following. Okay, so the testimony of my wife, Denise Lynn Minard, back then. At 16 years of age, on Easter night of 1979, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to be Savior and Lord. I attended a church for five years, which the Lord used to ground me in his word. It wasn't until nearly four years into my walk with the Lord that I had heard about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. First, through a man who was soon to be my husband, Dan, a paper he wrote, and through many people's testimonies. After a year of struggling, I came to believe in my heart that this baptism was true, and I needed it, but I still was a little uneasy about it because of unbelief of those around me. In the fall semester of 1983, Dan came to study at Christ for the Nations Institute. Even though CF and I was well known among charismatics, and I was skeptical about the charismatic movement, I know it was God's will for him to attend. Dan sent me the book, My Diary Secrets, by Frieda Lindsay, and the day I received it, I read through the whole book. The Lord showed me that He is the foundation and the center of CFNI, and that Mrs. Lindsay is a special woman of God who loves the Lord with all of her heart. <clears throat> As I read my diary secrets, Mrs. Lindsay shared how the Lord uses her in a special way in leading believers into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I read that, I put down the book and said, Lord, I know that within a year, you want me to attend C.F. and I. If this baptism is real, and I believe it is, I want Mrs. Lindsay to be the one to pray for me to receive this baptism. In a year, I was at C.F. and I. When I first arrived, I was not going to let anyone know that I hadn't been baptized yet. But within the first few hours, I must have had ten people ask me. Boy, did I feel out of place and miserable. So, for two days before the opening rally, I stayed in prayer and told the Lord, I need to be baptized soon or I wasn't going to make it down here. Opening rally came and the Reverend Fowler was the speaker. He announced that his message was going to be on the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Right away, my heart started racing and I knew the Lord was going to speak to me. After this message, an altar call was given and my heart was still racing as I followed to lift our hands and praise God. So I did, and nothing happened. Then I saw a man who was ministering from person to person to aid them in receiving this baptism. He was coming to me next, but my faith took a dive when he passed me by. Upon looking up to the platform and seeing Mrs. Lindsay, I was reminded of my previous request to the Lord. I WANT MRS. Lindsay TO BE THE ONE TO PRAY FOR ME TO RECEIVE THIS BAPTISM. I PRAYED THAT AGAIN, AND WHEN I OPENED MY EYES, MRS. Lindsay WAS STANDING BEFORE ME AND PRAYING, LAYING HER HANDS ON ME. THE NEXT MINUTE, I FELT THE HOLY SPIRIT OF GOD RUSHING ALL THROUGH MY BODY, AND I WAS SPEAKING WITH THE MOST BEAUTIFUL LANGUAGE I HAD EVER HEARD. TWO MINUTES LATER, I WAS slain IN THE SPIRIT. Since this experience, Jesus has been more personal to me, and now I really know that the joy of the, what the joy of the Lord is. He blesses me daily with his heavenly language, and recently, I was enabled to sing in this language and to sing its interpretation. I now sense a much greater desire to minister to people rather than simply becoming a minister's wife. Praise be to God. <coughs> So all the rest of this now is simply my reading quotes from D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, A.W. Tozer, A.B. Simpson, and uh, Spurgeon, and John Wesley, and then Early Church Fathers, and Gordon Lindsay, and R.A. Torrey. So... And then from hymns. So if you're not interested in that, then that and those names don't mean anything to you, then I guess this is a time to say goodbye. But on I go. From Secret Power by D.L. Moody. We read in John twenty twenty two, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Then see Luke twenty four forty nine. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. The first passage tells us, He had raised those pierced and wounded hands over them, and breathed upon them, and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And I have not a doubt they received it then, but not in such a mighty power as afterward, one qualified for their work. It was not in fullness that he gave it to them then. But if they had been like a good many now, they would have said, I have enough now. I am not going to tarry. I am going to work. Now from Charles Finney, his book, Power from on High. To the honor of God alone, I will say a little of my own experience in this matter. I was powerfully converted on the morning of the 10th of October. In the evening of the same day, and on the morning of the following day, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost. That went through me, as it seemed to me, body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals, were the means of their immediate conversion. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Oftentimes a word dropped, without my remembering it, would fasten conviction, and often result in almost immediate conversion. Sometimes I would find myself, in a great measure, empty of this power. I would go out and visit, and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray, with the same result. I would then set apart a day for private fasting and prayer, fearing that this power had departed from me, and would inquire anxiously after the reason of this apparent emptiness. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. Now, When He Has Come by A. W. Tozer Now, as I said, Satan opposes the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears, The devil knows that if we will just say that we want to be filled gradually, he will have no more worries from us, because that process is so slow. You might encourage yourself, Well, I am a little fuller today than I was yesterday, or at least I am a little fuller this year than I was last year. This is a place for carnal creatures to hide. It is a place for carnal church members to hide. In the scriptures, it was never a gradual filling. It says that he fell upon them. He came upon them. He filled them. It was an instantaneous act. You might say, well, I am going to be filled gradually. I answer, my brother, that you are not. You are going to be filled as an act, or you are not going to be filled. You can be sure of that. We ought to be very plain in our teaching, that Satan has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine and blood-bought patrimony, that the Holy Spirit should fill his Church, and that he should fill individuals who make up his Church. Let me say that I do not find in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, neither in Christian biography, in Church history, or in personal Christian testimonies, the experience of any person who is ever filled with the Holy Ghost and who didn't know it. Another by A.W. Tozer from the book When He Is Come. Now, there are some matters that have to be settled in our beings before we can move on to the question of how to be filled with the Spirit of God. This is the first, before you can be filled with the Spirit, you must be sure to the point of conviction that you can be filled. If you have any doubt, if someone has dropped a doctrinal question in your mind and left the impression with you that you received everything God has for you the day you received Christ as your Savior, you will never move on to the fullness. Now at this point I believe in complete realism. Salty, down-to-earth realism. Not everyone who listens to me is going to be filled with the Spirit. Some are going to be filled. For every once in a while, someone comes with a shining face and says, Well, it happened. God has done it. From that time on, that life is transformed. Spirit-filled Christians are changed people. Then, in verse 12, Jesus prayed, While I was with them in the world... I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. Then he said in verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. These are the things that Jesus said to his father about his disciples. That doesn't sound at all like the Lord talking about a bunch of sinners still needing to be converted. Let me remind you again that Jesus Christ had outlined a program of world evangelization for the disciples, and promised that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit in order to witness effectively unto the utmost parts of the earth. He said they were to enter a new era. God was about to introduce a change of dispensation, apart from a stepped-up and elevated spiritual experience. It is probably quite generally true that any Christian who has not been filled with the Spirit since conversion does not have genuine Christian joy. I know this was my experience. Again, by A.W. Tozer from his book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a great modern error which I want to mention. It is that the coming of the Spirit happen once for all, that the individual Christian is not affected by it. It is like the birth of Christ, which happened once for all, and the most excellent sermon on the birth of Christ would never have that birth repeated, and all the prayers in the wide world would never have Christ born again of the Virgin Mary. It is, they say, like the death of the resurrection of Christ never to be repeated. This error asserts that the coming of the Holy Spirit is an historic thing, an advance in the dispensational workings of God, but that it is all settled now, and we need have no further thought of it. It is all here, and we have it all. And if we believe in Christ, that is it, and there isn't anything more. All right, now everybody has a right to his or her view if he thinks it is scriptural, but I would like to ask some questions. I won't answer them. I'll just ask them, and you preach your own sermon. Is the promise of the Father, with all its attendant riches and spiritual grace and power, intended to be for first century Christians only? Does the new birth, which the first century Christians had to have, suffice for all other Christians? Or is the new birth which they have, which they had to have that which we have to have? Does the new birth have to be repeated in each Christian before it is valid? Or did the first church get born again for us? Can you get born again by proxy? The fact that those first 120 were born again, does that mean that we don't have to be now you answer me i want to ask you some more questions do you see any similarity between the average one of us christians buzzing around chicago and those apostles are you ready to believe that we have just what they had and that every believer in chicago who accepts the bible and is converted immediately enters into the new enters into and now enjoys and possesses exactly what they did back there. Surely you know better than that. Now a quote from A.B. Simpson from Christ in the Bible. Would we have our hearts fired by love? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which he hath given to us. It is power for service. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit Ghost is come upon you would we know how to pray until our prayers bring an answer from above the Spirit maketh intercession with us within us with groanings which cannot be uttered the Spirit helpeth our infirmities there is nothing which is not covered by the promise of the Holy Ghost dear reader you have claimed have you claimed have you received the promise of the Father? Now, from A.W. Simpson Power from on high. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In the last chapter, we have seen the relation of the Holy Ghost to the person of Christ. First, he was born by the Spirit. Then, He was baptized in the Spirit, and then he went forth to work out his life and ministry in the power of the Spirit. But he that sanctifieth, and they that are sanctified, are all of one. So in like manner, we must follow in his footsteps and relive his life, born like him of the Spirit. We too must be baptized of the Spirit, and then go forth to live his life, and reproduce his work." And so, our next theme is the baptism of the Spirit of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, A.B. Simpson, from Power From On High. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, four. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5. These words imply that there is a difference between having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. These disciples, on the day of Pentecost, had, in some measure, received the Spirit previously. The Lord Jesus must have meant something when he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What this difference is, we may not be able to state explicitly or accurately. Our theories and definitions may be at fault. And it is probably unnecessary that we would understand all about it theoretically. The most important thing is that we should feel after it until we find it. That we should long for it and press forward to receive it. Now from Spurgeon's Sermons, Volume 2, page 129. In a few more years, I know not when, I know not how. The Holy Spirit will be poured out in a far different style from the present. So he was back from the 1860s, 70s, 80s. There are diversities of operations. And during the last few years, it has been the cause that the diversified operations have consisted in very little outpouring of the Spirit. Ministers have gone on in dull routine, continually preaching, 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 and little good has come of it. I do hope that perhaps a fresh era has dawned upon us, and that there is a better pouring out of the Spirit, even now. For the hour is coming, and it may be even upon us now. When the Holy Ghost shall be poured out again in such a wonderful manner, that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the surface of the great deep. When his kingdom shall come, and his will shall be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, we are not going to be dragging on forever like Pharaoh with the wheels off his chariot. My heart exults. And my eyes flash with the thought that very likely I shall live to see the outpouring of the Spirit when the sons and daughters of God again shall prophesy and the young men shall see visions and the old men shall dream dreams. So this was preached in 1857. In 1901 came the baptism in the Spirit upon 115 in the upper room of C.F. Parham's school in Topeka, Kansas. And then in 1906 Came the outpouring on Azusa Street. All right, tragedy in the church, the missing gifts. Back to AW Tozer. Plainly, I can say that some folks who carry their big Bibles to impress others will never be filled with the Holy Spirit until they drop their sleek, smooth exterior of being well taught. and earnestly desire God's humble plan for their lives. After the desire must come a determination to go through with God on His terms, and even then they will not be filled and owned and controlled by the Spirit of God until, in desperation, they throw themselves into the arms of God. I was nineteen years old, earnestly in prayer, kneeling in the front room of my mother-in-law's home, when I was baptized with a mighty infusion of the Holy Ghost. I had been eager for God's will, and I had been up against almost all of the groups and the isms with their formulas and theories and teachings. Any tiny work that God has ever done through me and through my ministry for Him dates back to that hour, when I was filled with the Spirit. That is why I plead for the spiritual life of the body of Christ. And the eternal ministries of the eternal Spirit through God's children, his instruments. Now on to John Wesley. A letter to Dr. Conyers Middleton, of 1 for 1749. Since that time, some have attempted to prove, one, no miracles occurred in the early church after the apostolic age. 2 All the early church leaders who claimed that these gifts were still at work were fools or scoundrels, and most of them were both one and the other. 3 No miracles were wrought by Christ or the apostles. And 4 that they, too, were fools or scoundrels or both. I do not agree with them on any of these points. My reasons are set forth in a free a manner as I can express. To agree with these objections would be to ignore both scripture and history. The testimony of the church fathers of the first 300 years of the church will be used to prove that the gifts of the Spirit existed after the apostolic age. You may naturally ask, why do you stop there? What reason can you give for this? If you cite miracles before the Roman Empire became Christian, why not afterward? <clears throat> I answer, that after the Empire became Christian, a general corruption of faith and morals infected the, church, the Christian church. By that revolution, as St. Jerome says, quote, the church lost as much of her virtue as it had gained of wealth and power. End quote. And this very same reason was given by St. Chrysostom in the words, quote, "...there are some who ask, why are not miracles performed still? Why are there no persons who raise the dead and cure diseases?" Quote. To which he replies that it was due to the lack of faith, virtue, and piety in those times. It does not appear that those extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit were common in the church for more than two or three centuries. We seldom hear of them after that fatal period when the Emperor Constantine called himself Christian. Then he, from a vain imagination of promoting the Christian cause, heaped riches, power, and honor upon Christians in general, but in particular upon the Christian clergy, From that time, the gifts of the Holy Spirit almost totally ceased. Very few instances of this kind were to be found after that. The cause of this was not, as has been vulgarly supposed, that there was no more need or occasion for them, but because all the world had become Christian. This is a miserable mistake. Not a twentieth part of the world was then nominally Christian. The real cause of the loss was that the love of many, almost all the so-called Christians, had grown cold. Now from Gordon Lindsay, his book, Gifts of the Holy Spirit. So he was the founder of Christ for the Nations Institute. And then when he passed away, his wife, Frida Lindsay, took it on. So that's what my wife referred to in her testimony, When she went to see F and I, and Frida Lindsay was the CEO, president. Okay, Irenaeus was the first theologian of distinction in the history of the early church. He was brought up in Smyrna, where he came under the ministry of Polycarp, who in turn sat under the ministry of the apostle John. Thus, there is only one link between this champion of Christianity and the apostles. His great work was to defend Christianity against error. He also began the compilation of the New Testament canon. He wrote the great work against heresies, which effectively demolished the position of the heretical sect, the Gnostics. What did this great theologian have to say about the gifts of the Spirit and the speaking in other tongues? Irenaeus, in his books 5 and 6, says, For this reason does the apostle declare, We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, terming those persons perfect who have received the Spirit of God, and who, through the Spirit of God, do speak in all languages as he used himself to speak. In like manner, we do also hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts, and who, through the Spirit, speak all kinds of languages, and bring to life for the general benefit of hidden things of men, and declare the mysteries of God. Quote. So that was written after the death of all the apostles. Continuing the quote, we may quote from the writings of a few other of the early church fathers, for the prophetic gift remain with us even to the present time, and hence you ought to understand that the gift formerly among your nation have been transformed to us, have been transferred to us. That was Justin from the Ananisian Fathers, volume 1, page 240. Quote, For Apostles have the Holy Spirit properly, who have him fully, in the operations of prophecy, and the efficacy of healing virtues, and the evidence of tongues, not primarily as all others have. was a quote from Tertullian, the Ananisian Fathers, volume 4, page 52. This is he who places prophets in the church, gives powers and healings, does wonderful works, offers discriminations of spirits, affords powers of government, suggests counsels and orders, and arranges whatever other gifts there are of charismata, and thus makes the Lord's church everywhere, and in all, perfect and complete. That was from Origin, Ananisian Fathers, Volume 4, page 254. For the Holy Spirit is not given by the laying on of hands amid the testimony of temporal, sensible miracles, as he was given in former days to be credentials of rudimentary faith, and for the extension of the first beginnings of the church. For who expects in these days that those on whom hands are laid that they may receive the Holy Spirit, should forthwith begin to speak with tongues. That was on the Holy Spirit, should forthwith begin to speak with tongues. Okay, Uh, that was on baptism against Donatus. Uh, Page 43 of volume 4 of the Church Fathers. That was Augustine. Many more quotations might be made to show that down through the church age, various groups within and without the church received the baptism and spoke with other tongues. Now on to R.A. Torrey, his book, The Baptism with the Holy Spirit. It may be said that the apostles have gone out on missionary tours during Christ's lifetime before they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is true. But that was before the Holy Spirit was given, and before the charge, tarry, until ye be clothed with power from on high. After that, it would have been disobedience and presumption to have gone forth without this endowment. We are living today after the Holy Spirit has been given, and after the charge to tarry until clothed. Whom is this gift for? To you, says Peter, to the Jews, whom he was immediately addressing, then looking over their heads to the next generation and to your children, then looking down all the coming ages of the church's history to Gentiles as well as Jew, and to all that are far off. But that unspeakable joyous thought has its solemn side. If I may be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Then will souls be saved through my instrumentality, who would not be saved if I were not so baptized. If, then, I am not willing to pay the price of this baptism, and therefore am not so baptized, I am responsible before God for all the souls that might have been saved, but were not saved through me. Here we touch upon the hindrance to the baptism with the Holy Spirit in many lives. There is not total surrender. The will is not laid down. The heart does not cry, Lord, where thou wilt, what thou wilt, as thou wilt. There is a very suggestive passage in Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. What does it mean to be thirsty? When one is thirsty... There is but one cry, water, water, water. Every pore in the body seems to have a voice that cries out, water. So within our hearts have one cry, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Then it is that God pours floods upon the dry ground, pours his Spirit upon us. This then is the fifth step. Intense desire for the baptism with the Holy Spirit All things whatsoever ye pray and ask for, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. It seems like a singular confusion of the tense. Believe that ye already received them, and ye shall have them. This seeming enigma was solved long after, while studying first John. I read This is the boldness which we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. When I ask anything of God, the first thing to find out is this. Is this petition according to his will? When that is settled, then I find it is according to his will, when, for example, the thing asked is definitely promised in his word. When I know the prayer is heard, then I know the prayer is heard, and I know further, I have the petition which I have asked of him. I know it because he plainly says so. And what I have thus appropriated on simple, childlike faith, in his naked word, I shall have in actual experience. They have, perhaps, read the life of Mr. Finney or of Jonathan Edwards, and recall how great waves of electric emotion swept over these men, until they were obligated to ask God to withdraw his hand, lest they die from the ecstasy. Or they have gone to some meetings and heard testimonies to similar experiences, and they expect something like this. Now, I do not deny the reality of such experiences. I cannot. The testimony of such men as Finney and Edwards is to be believed. But another question will be asked Did not the apostles wait ten days, and may we not have to wait? The apostles were kept waiting ten days, but the reason is given in Acts 2 1 when the day of Pentecost was now come, literally was being fulfilled, in the eternal purposes and plans of God, in the Old Testament types, the day of the Pentecost was set as the time for the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit could not be given until the day of Pentecost was fulfilled to come. But But we read of no waiting after Pentecost. In Acts 4.31, there was no waiting. When they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and were all filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 8, there was no waiting. When Peter and John came down to Samaria, and found that none of the young converts had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, they prayed for them, that they may receive the Holy Ghost, and they did then and there. (laughs) Paul <laughs> of Tarsus was not obliged to wait in acts 9. Ananias came in and told him of his wondrous gift and laid his hands upon laid his hands upon him and baptized him and straightway in the synagogue he proclaimed Jesus that he is the son of God acts 9. There was no waiting in acts 10 before Peter had finished his sermon the baptism with the Holy Spirit came. In Acts 19, there was no waiting. As soon as Paul had declared of the Ephesian disciples the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the conditions were met, the blessings followed. Men only have to wait when they do not meet the conditions, when Christ is not fully accepted, or sin is not put away or there is not total surrender, or true desire, or definite prayer, or simple faith, just taking the promise of the word. The absence of some of these things keep many waiting. But there is no need that anyone wait ten hours. You can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit now, if you will. Virtue or power is constantly going from us, as from Christ, Mark five, in service and blessing, and if power would be maintained, it must be constantly renewed in prayer. When electricity is given off from a charged body, it must be recharged. So must we be recharged with the divine energy, and this is effected by coming into contact with God in prayer.
1: Many a man
0: whom God has used becomes lax in his habits of prayer, and the Lord departs from him, and his power is gone. Are there not some of us who have not today the power we once had, and simply because we do not spend the time on our faces before God as we once did? Power is lost through the neglect of the word. God's power comes through prayer. It comes also through the Word. Psalms 1, verses 2 and 3. John 1, verse 8. Many have known the power that comes through the regular, thoughtful, prayerful, protracted meditation upon the Word. But business and perhaps Christian duties have multiplied. Other duties have come in. The Word has been, in a measure, crowded out, and the power has gone. We must meditate daily, prayerfully, profoundly upon the word if we are to maintain power many a man has run dry through its neglect and finally <clears throat> some brief quotes from hymns i used two hymnals one was uh, hymns of the christian church and the other was hymns of glorious praise um i was in i was licensed to assemblies of god uh contingently if I would have accepted a church which I did not so I was a youth pastor for a year in the Assemblies of God and uh, so that's the hymns of the glorious praise and then the other from Christian missionary Alliance hymns of the Christian life so first I surrender all I'll just give the birth date of the the hymn writer I surrender all Venter 1855 fill me with thy love and power and Let thy blessings fall on me, and the Holy Spirit, Lord alone, from Kirkpatrick, 1838. Baptize us with power today, and like a rushing mighty wind, sweep over our souls today. Lo, everyone that is thirsty, from Ryder, 19th century. Child of the kingdom, be filled with the Spirit. Nothing but fullness thy longing can meet. "'Tis the endowment for life and for service. Thine is the promise, so certain, so sweet. I will pour water on him who is thirsty. I will pour floods upon the dry ground, upon your heart for the gift I am bringing. While you are seeking, I will be found." Then, power from on high. A.B. Simpson, 1843. "'Send us thy power,' Send us thy spirit power from on high, power, power, power from on high. Helplessly we labor, helplessly we sigh, till thy spirit gives us power from on high. Then breathe upon us, by Carter, 1849. Breathe upon the Lord from heaven, fill us with the Holy Ghost, promise of the Father given. Send us now a Pentecost, baptize us with power, with fire. Then burn on, A.B. Simpson, 1843. Baptize with fire, this soul of mine, and do me with thy spirit's might. Then bring your vessels, not a few, by Morris, 1862. You are longing for the fullness of the blessing of the Lord in your heart and life today. Claim the promise of your Father. Come according to his word. He will fill your heart today to overflowing with the Holy Ghost and power. Bring your empty earthen vessels clean through Jesus' precious blood. Come, ye needy, one and all, and in humble consecration. Wait before the throne of God till the Holy Ghost shall fall. And then Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. By Crawley, from 1780. One Holy Passion filling all my frame, the baptism of heaven descended dove. Then from the hymns of glorious praise, Breathe on Me, by Hatch, 1835. Holy Spirit, breathe on me, fill me with the power divine, kindle the flame of love and zeal within this heart of mine. Then Channels, Only, by Gibbs, 1865. Jesus, fill now with thy spirit, hearts that full surrender know, that the streams of living water from our inner man may flow. Then Waiting on the Lord, by Weigel, 20th century. Waiting on the Lord for the promise given. Waiting on the Lord to send from heaven. Waiting on the Lord by our faith receiving waiting in the upper room. And then, Pentecostal fire is falling, by Bernard, 1873. In the book of God, so precious we are told of Pentecost, how the blessed Lord's disciples tarried for the Holy Ghost. Pentecostal fire fell on them, burning up their sin and dross, filling them with power for service. Making them a mighty host. Pentecostal fire is falling. Praise the Lord, it fell on me. Pentecostal fire is falling. Brother, it will fall on thee. That's the end of all the quotations. And I am done.